I've said repeatedly on this podcast that we're not being fair to offspring as in the Abrahamic covenant, unless we take a hard look at Galatians 3. Well, similarly, if we're going to be talking about Hagar and Sarah, there's some stuff that we can benefit from seeing that's in Galatians 4, and we'll talk about it today on Beyond the Notes. The two cases are not parallel. In other words, Galatians 3, as it explains to us in the fuller unfolding of God's progressing revelation, Galatians 3 helps us understand in greater depth what's going on in the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant of grace, which precedes and cannot be preempted by, preempted by the covenant of law, which is the argument of Galatians. Um, Galatians 4 makes sort of different use of, of an account or an incident from the life of Abram in that Galatians 4 reaches back to the story of, of Sarah and Hagar and uses that story to illustrate a point. Galatians 4 is not shedding further light on Abraham and uh, Sarah and Hagar. It's using it as an illustration, but it's still, it's a mention in the book of Galatians of something specifically from the part of the book of Genesis that we just looked at on the Lord's Day. So it seemed a very natural place to land beyond the notes this week. Galatians 4, 21 through 31. Uh, Paul <coughs> is, is unfolding to the churches of the region of Galatia the, uh, the argument that salvation by grace is an older and more fundamental dynamic than any version of, of some sort of salvation that could be attained by law-keeping. And he's making the point that, of course, salvation never was by the law, but some of the Judaizers that were plaguing the Galatian church were teaching that it was a, another gospel of a different type, as he says in Galatians chapter 1. But here he, he grabs some truths from the story of, of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, and uses them to illustrate some truth about the relationship between salvation by grace and those who would attempt to be right with God by means of law-keeping. Galatians 4, beginning in verse 21, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. And we just looked at this in Genesis, the last Lord's day. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. He's talking about Ishmael, who was born in a, in a naturally understandable sort of way, born according to the flesh. Uh, Abram was quite old to father a child, but one could still biologically, uh, he, he still was capable of fathering a child. Sarah, his wife, who's going to be the biological mother of Isaac, that, that, that birth's going to come about miraculously, uh, somewhat ahead of where we are now in the book of Genesis. 
But the birth of Ishmael was not supernatural in that Hagar, the Egyptian slave, mother of Ishmael, was still of childbearing age. So you have the child born according to the flesh and the son of the free woman born through promise. Uh, Hagar and Ishmael, Sarah and Isaac. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. That is, metaphorically, we can see some resemblance between Hagar Ishmael and, and what it is to be literally under the law as a burden of, of obedience to be right with God. But the Jerusalem above, the heavenly Jerusalem, is free. And she is our mother, for it is written, and he quotes Isaiah 54, 1, Rejoice, O barren one that does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. We'll talk about that in a minute. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Now, one of the things I want to gently clarify right out of the bat is is the ESV translation says these things may be interpreted allegorically in verse 24. And that's inarguably a correct translation. The Greek word underlying the English word allegorically there is, is a word that even looks a lot like our English word allegory. But the meaning has changed over time. What Paul is saying here is that there are some metaphors we can pick up on. We have to be careful with, with, with the modern English word allegory, however, because the modern English word allegory means a work of fiction where pieces in the work of fiction stand symbolically for other things in the real world. And the account of Abram, Hagar, and Sarah in that sense is not an allegory because it's not a work of fiction. So though the, the word allegory is an okay translation because it matches off closely with the Greek word, the idea is more metaphor than it is rigid allegory. If you want some examples of rigid allegory, the, most, the best known allegory in all of English literature is Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And if you haven't read John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, you ought to read it if you're a reader and you'll be the richer for it. If you want a little bit more modern allegory, one that's very well beloved even in our times, I say modern, it's from the mid-20th century, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, volume two of the Chronicles of Narnia is a great allegory. <laughs> and if there were such a thing as beyond, beyond the notes, I would chase the rabbit of why is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which was the first of the Chronicles of Narnia to be written and published in 1950, volume two, when volume one of the Chronicles of Narnia, which was written five years later, The Magician's Nephew, comes to precede The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Well, if you're a C.S. Lewis fan, you already know the answer to that. But somewhere on beyond, beyond the notes, maybe we'll talk about that. But I love The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It is a terrific allegory. It teaches a great deal of Christian truth in the guise of a story about a magical land 
where a, a white witch has taken over but has her power broken by the great lion Aslan. And if you've not read this, you ought to read it. And if, you've not, if you have read it, you ought to reread it. And if you have kids in your life, you ought to read it to your kids. That's my commercial for C.S. Lewis. Meanwhile, back in Galatians 4, the story of Abraham, or more specifically, the contrast between Hagar and Sarah and Ishmael and Isaac, has some, some points of metaphorical comparison. For example, like the law, Hagar gives birth to Ishmael by, by fleshly dynamics, effort, humanity, doing and, and obeying, or not obeying as much, but, but, but effort and doing in a way that is naturally understandable. There's nothing supernatural about an old man sleeping with a young woman who gets pregnant and has a baby. It's a, it's a picture of the flesh. Also, both the mother and the baby are enslaved in the household of Abram, not making any moral judgments about slavery, just telling the story as it happened in history, it did. So you have, you have the flesh and you have, you have slavery. And then later, when, when uh, chapter 21 of Genesis, when Isaac has his sort of coming of age ceremony, the older brother, Ishmael, the older half-brother, actually makes fun of him and persecutes him. And Paul here is making the point that the law and law keepers will always seek to persecute, generally out of, out of jealousy, those who have been set free from the law by the gospel of Christ. So on the side of Hagar and Ishmael, you have the flesh and, and enslavement and persecution. Whereas on the side of Isaac, you have the promise. It is a supernatural birth when Sarah, who is decades past menopausal age, gives birth nonetheless to the, the full son of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac. In fact, his name means laughter because Sarah laughs at the idea of conceiving and God uh, who always has a marvelous and gentle sense of humor, says, well, because you're laughing at the idea of him, let's just name him laughter so you remember that, thus the name Isaac. And he is a symbolic of freedom because he is not a slave in the household of Abram. He's a son in the household of Abram, and he is symbolic of, of being the persecuted one because of the way Ishmael makes fun of him as Ishmael is, in fact, the older half-brother. So those contrasts, the contrast between law and slavery and persecution of others versus promise and freedom and being persecuted by others, that metaphorical contrast is highlighted here by Paul in the latter part of Galatians 4 in something that I would suggest is not an allegory, strictly, but kind of a, a metaphor and an illustration of an idea. Well, because I've made so much of Galatians 3 in understanding the Abrahamic covenant, it seemed balanced to me to bring in Galatians 4 and its use of Sarah and Hagar as an illustration of what it is to seek to be right with God by obedience to a bunch of rules, which has never worked versus being right with God because of a promise God has made and our accepting of that promise. 
It's the difference between law and grace, and that's one of the most important distinctions of all. Well, by now, I hope that you're you're tracking. I hope you have subscribed and that you're sharing and liking these podcasts. And I will look forward to being with you again on Beyond the Notes. Now, that one had to be briefer.